Before paternity leave, we were in the office full time. Mm -hmm. I never heard of Microsoft Teams. The business was on a normal forecast. Then I came back and there's this word called furlough. Mm -hmm. uh, sales had gone ballistic. No one was working in the office. Uh, I was already behind on the team's uh, management of, oh, how do you even call someone? Uh, what's this hand? Uh, and that was the most, it was the craziest year I've ever had. So welcome to the Summit by Fearless Adventures, where we speak to successful individuals about their journeys and their route to their summit. My name is Emily Smithers. I'm the Investor Relations Director at Fearless Adventures, and we're joined today by David Lawson, the former MD of AO.com and now CEO of Salons Direct. Thank you. Hi, David. Hi. You know, you've gone on a really incredible journey, I think, you know, going from starting a business to then running the business, you know, being in charge of it and now being a CEO yourself. Would you call yourself, you know, uh, an, an entrepreneur or how do you think the difference is between like a CEO and an entrepreneur and how have you found that difference? I definitely wouldn't class myself as an entrepreneur. I think an entrepreneur has to have that instinct, really big risk, visionary uh, sort of mindset. I think I'm a lot more structured. My skill set is more taking something that exists. Mm -hmm. So if you ask me to come up with an idea tomorrow about how to revolutionise something, I'm like, <laughs> but I think if someone's got a good idea, but then they don't know how to scale it, that's where I feel I've learned my sort of trade over the years. And where do you think you, you learned that from in kind of your journey? It's all a bit accidental. So I start, I was, I was absolutely determined to be a finance director. That's like from the age of 12. Like, gonna be from the age of 12? From the age of 12. <laughs> How? I just thought, I want to be an accountant, I want to be a finance director. So I started as a from paper 12? round, yeah, and then on the tills in the shop, <laughs> and then <laughs> selling programs, and then I was, I was determined. So I, I became a qualified accountant at a donut factory uh, before I joined AO, and then... I worked in finance there and I realised how unbelievably dull uh, finance is. <laughs> uh, and like transacting the, the it all. Good. The donuts, I've never had a donut since actually. <laughs> <laughs> you, if you see how donuts are made, you'd understand. Really? Yeah. Why? Because they are a tiny ball of dough, which then basically sit in a 20 minute conveyor belt full of fat and just slowly expand. And the occasional one falls off, which then goes back on again. Uh, uh, I once found. Well, sorry, we once found uh, half a mouse in a donut. Uh, sorry, uh, in a muffin. Stop. <laughs> yeah, uh, that wasn't the issue. The issue was where's the other half. <laughs> so we had to close the whole factory. We won't name and shame this donut factory. Uh, the donut factory will remain anonymous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was an interesting experience. So I then worked hard in what do finance, but I really like the management account side. And then I was absolutely determined of like, I'm going to get really good technically. That's how, that's how you need to do really well. Mm -hmm. And then I did uh, four and a half years there and felt a bit of a ceiling. And I was still determined, yeah, that's, you need to do yourself really technically. Never managed anyone before. And then my boss humiliated me uh, on a call. And that was my line. <laughs> what did he do? Yeah. He just basically slapped me down in a big... A meeting must have been about 20 people in there totally humiliated me bear in mind I was 23 24 mm -hmm. uh, not much resilience fairly emotional and hot-headed and I was like right 
that's me. Mm. So I went and found a recruitment agent and they had a job in Bolton in a washing machine catalogue <laughs> and website. And mm. so I went for that. Um, and then that's how the AO journey started, really. Totally accidental. Wasn't a, wasn't a deliberate move. Yeah. And how big was the AO at the point when you first joined? Somewhere between 50 and 100 million quid. But Appliances Online, which was the own branded, was, was tiny. It was like less than 10 million. So donuts to washing machines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the, the scariest point of the whole career was coming into this role as a manager mm. with no management experience managing two graduates. And I was like, oh my word, these graduates are superb and I know nothing about anything in this business because I went from supply chain and accounts to commercial and pricing and stock management, which I've not done before. And I remember buying myself an Idiot's Guide VBA book because my first job was to build a pricing model <laughs> in VBA, which I was like, I've never written VBA, so I remember having to like read it up. It was suddenly like discovering how to manage people. Mm, yeah. And then I made a mistake early on with, I think you know Andrew Kikodi. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Andrew was at AO when I joined. And Andrew was um, like a senior manager. And I remember thinking, oh, Andrew's well-respected. Andrew's got a big team. I'm going to copy him. <laughs> and I thought, that'll do. <laughs> and then I tried to sort of copy his style. That was a total disaster. And that was the first learning of mm. you can't, you've got to be yourself. Mm. You're authentic. There's no right or wrong way to manage people. And so that was, a, it's basically the whole thing's been a series of trial and error all the way through. Mm. So, you, you, you know, you come in, you've got no idea about washing machines and online appliances. Did you ever picture yourself being in charge of that company one day? No, I didn't even have a role when I started. I accepted a job. So we have no job because another guy beat me to the job I applied for. Which was that job? Was that job? Uh, pricing manager. Yeah. Ironically, he then got sacked within six weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I accepted a job because I was on three months notice and then joined. And then they said, he's gone, which was like, (laughs) (laughs) right, what could he have done so wrong in six weeks? And I thought, well, I'm I'm surely not going to do much better. So the the panic stations uh, rock in. And then, uh, yes, I I managed stock and pricing uh, initially. Quite a lot of your career is about right time, right place as well. A lot of luck. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that you can't. You need you need a few wins behind you. Um, like I, it was lucky. Uh, my boss humiliated me that day. You know, we hear a lot about uh, quiet quitting at the moment and people, you know, leaving companies and not really working at one place for a long time. Obviously, I, you know, I believe the rewards come from what you put in and what you kind of deliver. How many times you kind of jump from that journey of you joining to taking on like a really senior role in that place did you want to leave? And how many times did you consider leaving <laughs> versus, you know, actually knowing that the grass isn't greener and knowing that you're working mm. towards something where one day that's going to pay off? So I actually quit twice. <laughs> <laughs> I had two other jobs at that point versus various troughs. And what I've learned is it's totally like that yeah. no matter what. So now I have that expectation of, you're going to have at least one really bad day every week. Um, and you have some average days, you have some good days. And that's life. And I had this expectation that it should be all linear. Uh, and pay rises should all go perfectly to how you want. I remember once I challenged because I didn't get enough of a pay rise that I thought I deserved. 
that was a really valuable lesson. Really? And then I didn't get anything for two years after that. What did you do? What did I do? When you challenged it? I just went in, in my brave, <laughs> naive 26-year-old self and went, I think I deserve more. I think I deserve a title increase, a gym membership, an extra 4,000 quid a year. Oh, do you? <laughs> Let me give you my view. Right? <laughs> and I remember walking out of that office going, that's another good lesson. Wait for it. And yeah. then I, from that day, I always focused on focus on doing a good job, focus on the output mm-hmm. and the rewards will come after rather than chasing the money, which I think I chased the money early on, uh, which I think is quite common in the younger generations, like an extra one or two or three thousand pounds is really important to them. And I get that because it is quite significant, yeah. but it's it's about the output, it's about the work. Yeah. Um, then you'll get rewarded um, and that's, that's always happened ever since. Do you think we've got a generation of individuals who are much more short-sighted? Yes, and apologies to all you young. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I do. Yeah. I see it everywhere I go. Like in, in the early days, I used to do 12, 13, 14-hour days consistently, which actually, that's not smart looking back, but the effort was there. It was like work. I know it helps being single when I joined, and no children, because I've got a family with two kids now. And that does change the dynamic a lot because that jumps to your number one position. Yeah. Um, and work for it. And that's not the same for everyone. And there's no right or wrong thing. But my family's number one and work's a close second. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think in the younger generations, which is something I've sort of wrestled with, how do you solve? I think going to the gym is number one. <laughs> um, going on time is number two. <laughs> Uh, whatever the whatever you've got going on five o'clock oh, i'm out of here and you can tell because there's just an exodus at five o'clock and you think well you've been clock watching you're not busy enough i'm not pushing hard enough uh so uh i think i do worry about the next generation of ceos yeah of ceos you think it's, you think it's completely up to senior management as well or do you worry for them as, almost for, like the do you worry for them managing people i'm worrying like 30 40 years the competency levels based on the younger generation of what their beliefs are, I do, I do worry. Mm. But that's a pure opinion and maybe mm. a bit controversial. No, it's, it's interesting because it's obviously a topic at the moment in terms of mm. UK productivity. You know, we're trying to find a way to get over 50s back into work because they've all stopped. We're trying to get the most out of young people. Yeah, particularly and, post-COVID, managing that flexible, I guess, world that everyone's become yeah, comfortable in. And relationships are all reciprocal work's a relationship your marriage is a relationship and I think the younger generations it's a lot more one way that's not how any marriage survives or any good business thrives you know, it needs to be uh, needs to be both ways yeah. I completely agree we touched on a little bit there about Covid you know you're in charge of a big online business yeah. during covid this thing called covid happens you know yeah. we got some people home from work what are you feeling what's the kind of sentiment within the business at the time and the, from a manager's perspective what are you thinking i didn't know because i was on paternity leave well, yeah. <laughs> yeah so my second was born on the 10th of march 2020 and so i went on paternity leave and then i went to on before paternity leave we were in the office full time mm-hmm. i never heard of microsoft teams the business is on a normal forecast then I came back and there's this word called furlough. 
Uh, sales had gone ballistic. No one was at in the office. Uh, I was already behind on the team's uh, management of, oh, how do you even call someone? Uh, yeah. What's this hand? Uh, and that was the most, it was the craziest year I've ever had. Like literally we would normally do 50 to 100 grand of freezer sales in a day. We were doing between one and one and a half million a day. Mm-hmm. One to one and a half million a day. Freezers, freezers a day in the early days. Then once the freezer gate panic buying stopped, then it went to TVs. So people were just buying freezers just for the sake of buying extra freezers. Oh yeah, you should have seen it. It was. I, I remember putting it. I thought, right, going to put fifty quid on all of them and see what happens because we don't have the stock. Still went. <laughs> I remember thinking next year's annual annualization <laughs> is not going to go well. <laughs> Uh, and then, you know, just all sorts of waves of everything mm-hmm. like that year. is absolutely crazy. So we had a whole year of running the business uh, remote. We didn't have anywhere near enough stock. Mm-hmm. There's no one in the call center because sales went like they near enough doubled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a, that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Dealing with big uh, appliances. Um, we turned Google off. Like we've never made like more money ever. Mm-hmm. Like the analogy, literally the fish was just jumping into the boat and we couldn't cope. It and was... how, how did you deal with that internally? Because I guess there's a, you know, growth is, is a great attribute of success, but sometimes growing too quickly and too fast can cause other problems. So yeah. I guess in that, in that period, how did you work internally to make sure that everything, you know, all the cogs kept working throughout yeah. that period? And also to add to that, like, how do you manage shareholder expectation? Because, you know, at that time, share prices like that every single day and you know we've seen the kind of bubble burst mm-hmm. in the last 18 months but how are you managing that as well so john the founder brilliant he uh, him and the cfo he mainly managed outwards mm-hmm. uh, so ao is split into a uh, broadly retail side and an operation side uh, and i looked after uh, the retail side there's probably like six or seven business units across ao uh, and i looked after the retail engine which was AO.com, AO.de in Germany and Mobile Phones Direct, which was an acquisition. Mm-hmm. So my job was to generate all the revenue or supply management, supply chain down to customer services, then handed it over to ship it and get a warranty sold. Mm-hmm. There was about 1,200 people in that remit across a, a couple of different countries. And there was no rule book or precedent how you then suddenly manage remotely <laughs> uh, how do you do the communication how do you do the updates how do you manage the culture how do you what stock do you plan to buy what's your call center forecast to do it was absolutely chaos so back to the question of how did you manage it pure grit determination day by day of the news of the boris's news update who knew what he was going to say yeah. <laughs> each day, which then triggered different behaviour. Uh, so it was almost impossible to manage. And managing growth is far harder than managing decline. Decline, you chuck costs away. Like, it's fairly not easy, but it's, you can calculate more. How big are you going to grow? Is it going to sustain? What's going to happen? Are we going to be in lockdown forever? I remember we just uh, been working on the Air Arena deal for... Uh, probably three years and it went live 
in the November before the yeah, march. Yeah. And I remember thinking, oh, God, just just spent all this money sponsoring an empty building. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what was I thinking? Yeah. <laughs> and so that that wasn't the smartest move in hindsight. Yeah, because <laughs> it was like another year till it was open again, wasn't it? And the rest. <laughs> so I was like, yep, yeah, that's a very expensive sign on a building. Yeah. But, but that's it. So there's no rule book. And anyone who says they can do it in a structured, uh, planned way is, I would accuse, lying. Mm. Uh, because it's totally unknown. And it was the most stressful year of my life as well, because you're at home as well. Newborn. Mm. And a newborn. So I you had first? No, second. Second, okay. Turns out, I thought one was hard. Having two... Uh, that's like three times as hard as having one <laughs> and it compounds when they're with you all day yeah yeah and throughout i guess in in those certain times in a leadership role how do you balance making sure that everybody knows what's happening versus not telling them too much how do you sort of manage that for me i'm i'm really transparent like for me ev- like there's always a, i'm not a massive fan of bureaucracy everyone thinks oh they shouldn't know that. I'm a view of everyone's an adult. I trust people with their own time, uh, autonomy. Uh, you measure people on output. And so treat people uh, like adults. If you treat people like your kids, like mm-hmm. I can't tell my kids something's going on. Like that's in effect what you're saying if you don't keep people up to date. So being a CEO, a large part of it is constant communication. Mm-hmm. So when I came into Salons Direct, uh, one of the biggest complaints was no one knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. So I've put in a structure now where there's a stand-up every week, there's a monthly newsletter, there's a monthly presentation, there's there's emails going out all the time. There's mechanisms all around now. I don't believe you can overly communicate mm-hmm. because it's the biggest thing of, oh, I didn't know about that. Why didn't I know? I'm like, do you know what? It's really impossible to get to everyone about everything all the time, but if people feel like you're making the effort to people then reciprocate well Mm -hmm. and it is different in a plc because there are like i could never share profit numbers with the team which i get that's a legal compliance and i I was really upfront with that of i can't share it yeah yeah. but i can share you as much as i possibly can and i can give you a sentiment but other than that i can't yeah and how do you find that um because ao is also a very interesting place for that founder Mm. ceo dynamic because it's very yeah, founders have got a responsibility, like you say, of going from zero to one. Yeah. CEO tends to be the one scales. What advice do you give to early stage founders who naturally think their progression is CEO? Because it's not always the case, is it? I always say, surround yourself with people who are better than you. Um, recruit your weaknesses. Mm-hmm. That is the number one thing. If you and have that self awareness, and you, if you have that self awareness to think. I am good enough to be able to communicate well, structure an organisation, make sure the cash is right, make sure we're structured with all our plans and organise it, crack on. If you like, and follow what your passion is, but if you like the product, so James Dyson, uh, we went down there a few weeks ago, and he calls himself chief engineer. Mm. That's what he does. He signs off the engineering. Don't know anything about numbers, so he's got a CFO. And he's got a team of people around him who do that. So my advice to any founder, don't think because you're the founder means you can become the CEO because that might really hurt uh, your vision. So get someone who knows how to be a CEO. If you're 
not sure or at heart don't really want to. And there's no harm in saying, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to do that. That's not my skill set. And I guess you've moved, so AO was very much sort of a, a D2C space. Salons Direct is a bit more B2B, if I'm right. Yeah. What, what's that transition been like moving from those two types of business models? If I was moving from e-commerce to store-based, very different. But it's still, it's going to sound very disrespectful, but AO and Salons Direct, they're both a website. They both buy stock from suppliers and they both sell to customers and have payment methods and then ship it to customers and have customer services. So 80% of it is identical, mm-hmm. like whichever e-commerce business you're in. Um, it's just different competitors, different market, different customer space. And obviously the 20% is the nuance about how does the market quite work, what sort of messages land with customers. But interestingly, doing all the market research over the last couple of months, if you look at the factors important to both, it was price was number one, yep. <laughs> availability range and stock was number two, delivery was number three. Uh, I remember like hearing Jeff Bezos say <laughs> those were the top three things as well. Yeah. Uh, and actually, you don't need to over, overthink it. So there's not that much differences. The bigger differences is going from a, a multi-country, multi-category, 3,000 people mega business to there was like 80 when I joined mm-hmm. uh, and much smaller. And so I was sport rotten at AO actually. Like yeah, there was, had a PA, <laughs> uh, had like data and reports everywhere. There was a commercial team of like 35 people. If I need to know, I was like, go and ask that. But I actually like, I felt too far away from it at AO because it got too big. And that was the role at AO, but that, that wasn't, I wasn't fulfilled, mm. which is why I moved. So coming back to that fulfillment, is, you know, what is your kind of aim? What is your summit? What do you think you're working towards? My mission with the business is to make us the market leader. We're number five in the market at the minute. Uh, so there's a five to ten year horizon of creating that achievement of going from number five to number one. Um, so for me, it's all about the achievement and fulfillment. I'm very competitive. Yeah. And I do not want to be fifth in the Premier League. <laughs> uh, no one wants to be fifth. And I have a lot of fun along the way and develop a lot of people. And I love the team. We've, got, we've generally got a really great business and a good platform. And now it's about, we've set everything up. And now it's about the, all that discipline and that hard work. Mm-hmm. So, and it's ours for the taking, actually. And you talked about family a little bit earlier on and how that's the priority as well. Yeah. As a CEO, how, you know, is there any advice you'd give around balancing those two priorities and, and sort of how you do that? It's a really hard thing because I think this will be common for a lot of people where if you're not working and you're with your kids, you feel guilty you're not working and vice versa. If you then miss bedtime because you've got some things to finish, you also feel guilty you're not being a good dad. So I've sort of accepted that you can't win. So I've just done a principle of, unless I've got something really, really important that can't wait, I'll get home every night and do the bedtime, tea time routine and try and get some exercise in. Uh, And actually what I've found is, it is absolutely quality over quantity. Mm -hmm. I don't think you've got more than eight or nine really, really good productive hours in your per day. I don't know whether it's age and getting more tired, but like when I get to like five o'clock, I'm absolutely ruined from a, a brain point of view mm-hmm. because all your day is meetings, thinking, 
uh, and it's t- it's tiring. So, and I could do another two or three hours. Mm. It wouldn't be high quality time. So, and I wouldn't want to go through life going, oh, I miss my kids growing up during the week and just saw them at the weekend. That's not fulfilling either. It's also not fair on my wife who works full time. So we have a strict 50-50 split with everything, which tends to work. But everyone's different as well. And I don't want to preach or judge on. It's whatever it feels right for you. But I don't feel the need I need to work the longest hours in the business. Because if I get us to that market leading position with the team, I've done my job. So it doesn't matter whether I would do that in three hours a day or nine hours a day. If you do that, you've you've ticked what you're trying to do. And you've got so much like very useful advice for found for current for founders, but also for people who are in organisations. I think you know going back to when you were you were 23 and you got you know done over by your boss mm. to where you are now. Did you think that was going to happen, or did it kind of? Do you think that moment then you created a conviction that you had to go on and achieve something? I'm a very structured person and I like targets. So well, I remember uh, I said, right, when I got to AO, I want to be a director by the time I'm 30. I didn't really know what that was, mm-hmm. really, or a director and what. And then I remember, pure coincidental, a week before my 30th birthday, I got put on the exec team as commercial director. Uh, so I thought, tick. So my next target was I want to be CEO by the time I'm 40. And I didn't think that would be at AO. Because mm-hmm. one, if everything happened at AO, it had been far too big and far too big a role. If I went in as CEO at AO, it'd fail spectacularly because of the skill set it needs. And then by the time I'm 50, hope I'm done. <laughs> done, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, market leader done and then go and enjoy your life mm-hmm. and go and spend some time with your family, do some projects, go and help. I love helping people. It gives me a lot of fulfillments, helping and sharing advice and experiences with all the many, many, many mess ups that I've done over time. It always frustrates me in an interview. Biggest mistake, oh, I can't think of anything. Bye <laughs> uh, <laughs> bye. Yeah. Uh, have that self-awareness, have that openness. People are human, they make mistakes every single day. And I encourage that. Just, just say. So I'm trying to build a culture now where if you make a mistake, just tell us. Honestly, it's fine. As long as you not go bankrupt or you've done it <laughs> maliciously, it's, yeah. it's fine. And what do you think it is that obviously keeps driving you to make that next goal and that next one after that? It's just in you. I, I can't stand plateauing. I can't stand wasting time. Like every minute's precious. I keep on like, I had this thought um, a couple of days ago, like, God, we've probably got like 30 years of actually being able to go on like physical holidays, like skiing or something. That's that's only like 30. 30. Ski scoops, I was like, yeah. that's it's suddenly life like catches up with you. So you've got to make the most of it. And so for me, I'm doing it to create a bit of a legacy, have fulfillment. I really enjoy it. I like using my brain uh, until I'm too tired and then yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I go to sleep. And then I want to enjoy it. The, I want my kids to be happy and I want me and my wife to go and enjoy some good quality time without just living functional lives with a lot when you've got two young kids, right? He's getting the shopping in, he's doing tea, he's going to put the kids to bed. Like, And that's obviously uh, being part of a parent and that's mm. fine. But I want to, when we're 50, to be able to go off and enjoy life mm. um, and do a bit of consultancy, a bit of help. So that's what's driving me. 
because um, you can't get higher than a CEO. I thought about starting my own business. I was going to do that after AO. Um, I, that's why I left, actually. What but stopped you? It wasn't the financial risk. It was the stress and the opportunity risk of time mm-hmm. because I will, I'm not naive and I see and know a lot of founders who have a really, really tough first five, six, seven years um, as, as, <laughs> as you can acknowledge and loads yeah. of people have. And uh, one of our close friends, she just lost a business after a six-year slog and it's not nice. No. And I, so it was a choice then of, do I want to become a CEO of a business and uh, help them earn some money, me to earn a bit of money? Or do I want to try and create a brand new legacy with that creative idea I'm not very good at mm-hmm. and risk a load of stuff with my family and I wasn't willing to commit? And I don't regret that. I think that's a huge level of emotional intelligence. You know, the entire conversation you just displayed a huge level of, of emotional intelligence, of awareness of yourself and the world and the market. And I think it's commendable for people because we have so many people right now ch- chasing instant gratification, short-term rewards, rather than being like, actually, you know, this is where I play. And I think that's, you know, this, you talk about helping people. I think this, this people listening to this will really, really listen, enjoy your story. Oh, well, I very much hope so. And if it helps someone out there, even just one person, then it's worth it. David, thank you so much for coming in today. I really enjoyed that discussion. I think it's going to be a really valuable piece of content for everyone to listen to. So thank you so much for sharing your story. If you enjoyed what you heard today, don't forget to like, share and subscribe. You've been listening to the Summit by Phyllis Adventures.